Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Laughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we're sitting down with the co-founder and chief commercial officer of a company called Moliere. His name is Warren Russell, and he's going to be talking about a new innovative, it's kind of new innovative technology called nanobubbles. But before we get into that, we got to go through everything. Please make sure that you subscribe to Aquademia wherever you're listening right now to make sure that you get all the new episodes automatically downloaded to your device as soon as they come out. Make sure to follow us on social at Aquademia Pod. If you want to reach out to us, do so by email podcast at Aquaculture Alliance. Dot org, or you can fill out a contact form on the education page located uh, at aquaculturealliance.org. And drumroll, please, please make sure that you have rated and review us on whichever podcast platform that you listen to us on. That's right. That's how we get up the charts and how we get more listeners in the community and how we can just grow this big group of people that are really trying to push the agenda of responsible and sustainable seafood. So let's get right into the conversation with Warren. I hope you guys enjoy it and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. We desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right, so we are sitting down with Warren Russell, who is the co-founder and chief commercial officer of Moliere. How's it going, Warren? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is one of our uh, seafood innovation episodes where we're going to talk about a new technology. Although, how new is this technology? How long has this been around, Warren? Uh, it depends who you ask. So for us, we're we're going into our fourth year of commercial commercial operations, um, but nanobubbles itself have been around for probably a couple of decades. Okay. Um, most of the innovation sort of was led out of Asia, specifically more Japan. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been around for a while. The first observed decades before that, sort of uh, an indirect um, observation from uh, actually like torpedo production, not torpedo oh, wow. production, but, but specifically as a byproduct of torpedo as uh, being launched. And um, yeah, it's been commercialized in different capacities for different applications for in different um, sort of sequences over time. Um, in the U.S., it's fairly new. I say North America and Europe, it's it's newer probably in the last five years. Um, okay. You see it, and then we see even in the last two years a lot more momentum um, as there's there's more and more market awareness around it. So it's definitely becoming more common. Great. So yeah, so not a brand new technology, but something that is fairly new to the aquaculture industry, uh, specifically, like you said, over here in the Western part of the world. Yeah. So um, we are going to be talking about nanobubble technology, and, and I could give a little kind of short description of what that is, but I definitely wouldn't a nano do it justice. Description? And I, I could, yeah, <laughs> and I would probably get a lot of it wrong. So before we get into what nanobubble technology is and what it's used for and how it can be used in seafood, Warren, give us a little quick background on you, who you are, who who are we talking to today? You know, what? how did you get involved in this and how did you get to where you are? Great question. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. I, my, my personal background was dealing a lot in sort of the environmental sciences side, um, looking uh, in working in, in soil remediation and agriculture, and then and that sort of dovetailed into 
um, industrial and, and wastewater applications. Sort of as it as it related to to sort of the introduction to Moliere, it's it's sort of this synergistic relationship with auction and these various different kinds of gases and these processes and how it, we, we came to look at nanobubbles was was really could we make the efficient the, the the efficiency of transferring gas into these various liquids more efficient or or um, essentially more economically feasible um, and that's sort of sort of led to the sort of the journey of, of looking at various different processes and how we could apply those on an, an industrial and scalable manner um, to use them in different applications. And, and obviously, as it relates to aquaculture, um, you know, the use of oxygen is, is paramount to, you know, to um, maintaining or, 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 or providing optimal husbandry or, or growing conditions for fish. Um, but it also has these secondary sort of benefits and and, and that's probably one of the most interesting parts about um, nanobubbles is how there's these these additional benefits that go beyond just the gas that we're putting into solution and it's the unique properties of the bubbles themselves which lend to to enhance various processes along the way and that could include um, certain solid solids or liquid separations within a an uh, hatchery to improve the quality of water it could be looking at removing certain off-flavor compounds from, from those waters. And then um, even more nascent but, but equally interesting is, is how we're sort of exploring using these nanobubbles to, to remediate um, offshore net pen um, systems where we, we're injecting the nanobubbles at depth and, and remediating the seabed. Um, so there's, there's a variety of these sort of applications that we've tailored around our equipment work tailored our equipment to to address um and the exciting part is is just sort of that commonality between all these markets and industries of how um these gases and nanobubbles can be used for these different processes um and obviously most importantly adding um, a lot of value to those processes cool so let's i, w- I want to talk about the technology itself how can this technology be used outside of because I'm sure we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about how it can be used in yeah. aquaculture. But what are some other applications that this has been used for? Uh, I, I saw a video on YouTube uh, where you guys were setting up a system at a indoor or greenhouse yeah. agricultural site. So uh, agriculture obviously is one um, one application of this technology. But how else can can they be used? Yeah. So so. Agriculture is a, is a is a big market focus for us and, and just sort of falls under the umbrella of, of treating irrigation water in general. Um, and again, sort of it's either to to support a biological process. So in this case, you know, you've got um, a, a sort of microbiome in the in the soil, which oxygen is promoting various different processes within that. Um, and also, first and foremost, is just the respiration for the plant. So oxygen is, is an integral part of that process. And what, when we were looking at agriculture as a whole, we just saw that a lack of oxygen is an impediment to, to an optimized system. And uh, it was sort of an, an underserviced seg- segment of treatment um, that we thought we could do very, very well at improving. And, and we've done that. And as a consequence... You just look at really addressing some some 
um, foundation elements of either improving root health or soil health and all the derivative benefits from that in terms of growing a healthy plant just sort of stem from from treating that foundation more effectively. Um, but prior to that, again, it was um, we, we started with applying the technology in industrial water treatment and generally that relates to supporting a biological process. So, you know, when you have, you know, your wastewater either from your home or industry that goes through a collection system that ultimately arrives at a treatment plant and that most of those treatment plants uh, operate off, off a biological process. So you've got microbes that, that have a, uh, generally uh, an activated sludge and oxygen is a, is a huge part of that or aeration in general. And the, what we, what we saw in, in the early stages is that the, again, sort of the, the, the amount of energy required to treat that water is, is significant. Um, and, uh, if you look at the various sort of aging infrastructure and, and sort of the way the communities have grown or expanded, um, it puts a lot of stress on the on the infrastructure, particularly these sort of older treatment plants. And um, we just saw an opportunity if there was a way to to really enhance um, and optimize a treatment process within a given footprint. Um, and that that actually has a direct correlation to how we look at aquaculture as well. It's just you know within a given infrastructure, can we enhance um, the, the the growing conditions. I mean, okay, that, and that may mean just improving water quality, or it may mean improving the amount of oxygen available to to um, the the fish. But but conceptually, we're thinking about it the same way. Um, can we use these resources more efficiently um, and optimize the output in some way? So, Justin, Maddie, do you guys have anything before I, I? I don't want to take over the whole episode here. No, ask away. I'm sure at some point some of the notes that I have will fit into the conversation. <laughs> okay, um, so I, I I'm curious uh, about how how it works. We talked about you know per, increasing the efficiency of oxygenating the water. Mm-hmm. I understand you know the dissolved oxygen levels in different areas of the water column, more shallow versus deeper areas is going to be different. And, you know, the nano bubbles are going to be helpful in uh, making a more even DO distribution. Is that accurate? Yeah. I'm curious how these are made. How are you able to produce such tiny bubbles? I mean, these uh, the, the, like thousands of times smaller than what you would think of with bubbles, right? I mean, yeah. These are itty, itty bitty. Uh, how, how are you actually able to produce this? What's the technology behind the, the physical production of these nanobubbles? Sure, yeah. It's a great question. So there's, there's several different methods um, of producing nanobubbles. And, you know, we use a, a sort of a hydrodynamic diffusion process. Um, and we selected that, um, again, sort of my co-founder um, and, and, G, and Chief, Chief Technology Officer Bruce Shelton sort of Based on our backgrounds, when we were looking at essentially coming from an industrial water background, looking at sort of what could be practically implemented in these environments where there are a variety of different water qualities, and and most importantly, how could we scale it up to to you know work in a water treatment plant, and and so that when we were looking at various different ways of, of doing this, those were sort of the, the key drivers for us. Like you know, could this work in Harsher conditions, 
obviously energy efficiency is paramount. And then, and then also second to that is could we scale it up? So if you, if you see a lot of, you know, systems out there kind of look small and, and probably more, more adept for a laboratory than, you know, in a, in a greenhouse or out in the middle of, you know, severe ocean conditions and, and trying to, to, um, work sort of at an efficient and consistent manner um, through the life cycle, life cycle of that equipment. So those were the, the key drivers. And, and so for us, not having moving parts, um, being able to scale linearly is, was important. And, you know, sort of, we've been able to do that. Um, and that's given us sort of a, a few distinct advantages in, in so much as the adaptability of the equipment into all kinds of different processes or configurations um, gives us a lot of flexibility. So it's it's generally easy to deploy and integrate. And, and so for us, that adoption curve has, has given us a, a little bit of leverage in, in entering new markets. And where would you say a, a lot of that market is? And again, I know that this technology is used in a lot of different industries, but are you seeing this in specific regions, mostly in the United States. I mean, it sounded like a couple of decades ago when this technology kind of started in Asia and, yeah. and Japan. Are, where are you seeing a lot of this technology kind of sprouting and growing the most? For us, you know, you know, I think we look at it just sort of where our market focuses and and where are the the, the core applications that that are of interest to us. To sort of check the boxes in terms of uh, market share and, and how applicable you know we feel our equipment is to service that market and also where our our sort of our infrastructure is that's a big important one for us so I, I mean I think the market is global um, and, and there's no shortage of opportunity anywhere uh, to be perfectly honest I mean the the amount of applications that this can be applied to is, is it's an extremely long list. Uh, so we just we, we're very selective about what we where we can do this, implement it successfully with the right infrastructure to support it. And so for us right now, that's that's in the Americas. Um, South America is is growing um, very very consistently, and uh, I wouldn't say aggressively, but but very healthily. Um, and then Western Europe as well, um, and then you know Canada, U.S. and Mexico is 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 a dominant market for us. Okay, so let's get into aquaculture because this is the world that we live in. Uh, Primarily, we're looking at Mm -hmm. RAS systems, recirculating aquaculture systems. And I've worked with some RAS systems and I've toured tons and tons of RAS facilities. Um, And I know there's a couple different ways to approach the dissolved oxygen, I don't want to say issue, but the dissolved oxygen parameter in, in your water quality. Right. And a lot of these larger, um, facilities, these larger RAS facilities are going to have something like a J tube, right. That goes down underground and, and allows that water, the oxygen to kind of like off gas, uh, as it, as it goes in a different, it's, it's like natural using natural pressure to, to do that. Right. So that's one. I know when I worked at my last job, which is a zebrafish facility with all RAS, and we are the way we oxygenated our water was we had giant air stones in right. the sump pumps, in the sump tanks. So you know, and then we were able to use probes to monitor that and everything, and uh, but we didn't really have much control over the oxygen level in there because yeah. we were just pumping these giant 
air stones. So how is this going to be useful to RAS? If these people have up, you know, they're, they're working in RAS systems that are already set up yeah. and they got either a J tube or they got something else that they can, that they already use to address this. What are the benefits of implementing this as opposed to something like that, that has already been proven to work for what they, what they're using it for? Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, obviously, it's sort of looking at. So, I mean, in our experience, I mean, we we see sort of it, it changes by region, and it, it, it certainly who the designer build from for a RAS facility, they have certain preferences to the technologies that they use. Um, I think traditionally we see a lot of uh, auction cones uh, as a common method, and if it's on auction cone you know, uh, pack columns as well, or a combination of a low head auctionator with a, a cone or a pack column. Um, and then, you know, diffusers as well. Is, that's sort of like the ubiquitous uh, backup um, method of, of aeration or auctionation. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a good juncture sort of, you know, where I find people, you know, our prerequisite to getting into this sort of, sort of commercial endeavor was actually really diving deep into the fundamentals of aeration. We worked with a gentleman out of UCLA uh, by the name of Michael Stenstrom, who is probably one of the foremost aeration experts, certainly North America, perhaps even globally. And instead of going through that um, process and independent testing and to standardize testing is really understand, you know, the, the strengths and weaknesses of all these different alternatives. So um, if you're looking at a diffuser, right, a diffuser will transfer on average between one and in a very, very ideal, optimal situation, about 3% per foot of water. Now, if you take that into context of a, a, a RAS facility or an aquaculture hatchery, for example, most of those tanks are pretty shallow um, if you take, you know, two, two and a half meters. So your transfer efficiency is is very much limited by the the confined depth of of these aeration tanks so um diffusers are cheap and easy to deploy um you know there's there's definitely some maintenance there but if you actually look at sort of the the oxygen transfer efficiency within that given footprint you'll see that it, it falls pretty short of what would be optimal um so you know when you add other constituents into the water like emulsion from feed and and other tss and other things which which actually impact something called the alpha factor um that can diminish the, that transfer efficiency by another 40 percent um and so now you're looking at a transfer efficiency that's maybe you know one one and a half percent per foot of water and you can quickly realize that there's a lot of room for improvement um in that and it's the same thing that we encounter with cones as well um or pack columns is you 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 have a technology that in in an ideal situation is it is and, and can be very efficient um the reality is in most cases when we when we see these uh, equipment in the field they're not operated in in ideal conditions um and perhaps the, mob, the biomass inside of a, a tank is a little bit higher than they originally anticipated or designed for. And so they're operating that cone with a slightly higher gas flow rate or the, 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 the oxygen concentrator that's feeding um, that, that cone is, is sort of has some severability in, in the pressures that it's producing and consequently 
provides a different or random specification of, of gas that's that's coming to the cone. And that variability makes it very difficult to, to run those uh, pieces of equipment efficiently. Um, and so when we've, when we've gone, essentially deployed our, our technology in these environments, whether it be competing against cones or, or, or pack columns or, or um, cones, um, generally we've, we've been able to do remarkably better um, than those. Um, and a lot of it just has to do with sort of the, the operating conditions that those equipment are, are being um, operated at and then sort of the sort of ease and flexibility by which our system can adapt to different gas flows, different pressures, and, and still not have a compromised performance. Um, and then certainly specifically to, to oxygen transfer efficiency, um, with, our, with our process, um, a, a large part of that oxygen is transferred through the mechanism itself. And by the time that, that water is then discharged into that tank, the bulk of that auction has already been transferred into both the dissolved um, auction form and as well as the, the nanobubble that's in there. So we're not constrained by depth in the same way that the diffuser is. And that gives us a, a pretty significant advantage in some of these environments. And I imagine that would help with um, not just the, the fish health and welfare in regards to maintaining a consistent dissolved oxygen level, but also um, if they're running a biofilter, which if you have an RAS system, you should be running a biofilter yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and that oxygen is going to promote the, the really, um, you know, robust growth of, of those bacteria in the biofilter as well, I imagine. For sure. And it, it actually goes a little bit beyond that, which is some of the interesting sort of secondary benefits that I was, I was describing earlier. Um, there is, there's, there's, Essentially, we've, we've, we've done work with some um, labs that do DNA, DNA analysis on um, certain ammonia oxidizing bacteria and looking at the kinetic yields of, of essentially um, bacteria supported through diffused aeration versus nanobubble aeration. And uh, we've seen up to like a 20% improvement in ammonia oxidizing bacteria as well as uh, higher kinetic yields from that. So the idea is that the nanobubbles are actually able to penetrate a little bit deeper into that uh, fixed, whether it be fixed film or flock formation um, and provide a little bit more of a healthier biomass, which then can consequently uh, improve your ammonia removal rate. Um, and then it goes a little bit beyond that as well as sort of looking at how um, and this, so this actually dovetails into some of our waste for applications and looking at how this negatively charged particle, um, which is the nanobubble that's floating uh, through a system and how that charge is able to, to sort of bond with, with other suspended particles in solution and, and able to um, either separate that or at least bring that um, out of solution and through uh, uh, captured more efficiently through a filtration process. Um, and, and those are distinct properties and benefits to the bubble itself beyond just the oxygen that, that we're obviously supplying through as a vector from the, from the bubble. Can your stocking density increase if the, if the dissolved oxygen within the water in the, in the 
containers for say an aria system you could could you have a bigger you, stocking density you, you could for sure but it, conditions are right sort of put a, a caveat to that is is just you know stocking density would be proportionate to like maintaining healthy water parameters right so as long as you're not compromising your water quality in any mm -hmm. way um that may allow you to increase stocking density likewise um dissolved oxygen that's sort of it's well understood, you know, being close to your your 100% saturation gives you a better feed conversion ratio. And, and certainly as there's an abundance or an adequate level of oxygen, um, your fish are not going to be as stressed as much. So I would, I would caution in answering yeah. that by saying, it, you know, nanobubbles are some magic solution that's suddenly going to allow you to increase stocking density. But certainly in relation to yeah. supporting a, a, a better water quality, um, a, a better dissolved and more uniform um, oxygen level throughout um, a system, the opportunity to increase that biomass is, is definitely there, yeah. Yeah, because the stocking density is dependent on a lot of other things as well. The size size of the tank, the water flow and all yeah, that. Right. So there's Species, a lot of, different, there's a lot the of tank, different factors yeah. that can go into that. But I can see, I, I can really see how you can drastically reduce stress on the animals in some scenarios depending on what yeah. their system is set up like which is ultimately going to result in a better product a more high quality product at the end after slaughter so um, yeah definitely yeah. cool so it seems like there are significant efficiencies with nanobubbles so how can farmers actually implement this technology and Going along with that, is it only relevant for RAS? No, it's, it's actually across the board. Nanobubbles, um, or can no, you use yeah, it in other aquaculture systems as well? Advantages and, and certainly, um, sort of, I would say like the the ideal part about what we the solution that we offer is that it can be applied in in so many different areas of that value chain. And so looking at um, hatcheries, it could be flow through, it could be RAS, um, you know, some, some customers, they may have, let's just say it's, it's, it's a federal hatchery in, in North America and they have, they're close to a, a decent well source and they have, you know, good quality water that comes in from there. Even still, we have a lot of situations where they may have a high dissolved nitrogen in that water and they need to gas it. Um, we've applied this technology to to do specifically that as a, a as a replacement for um, degassing systems, um, and then you know traditional aeration oxygenation systems where that's where that's applied, whether it's looking a, a a farmer looking for just an improved operational efficiency, so lowering opex, uh, whether energy or or um, oxygen costs. You know, replacing things like like some of these conventional treatments, um, we we apply in, in all of those capacities, and 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 even so, it depends. It doesn't depend on necessarily the fish. Um, I wouldn't readily red red. I can't say that word. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't um, sort of focus on sort of lower margin crops per se. Um, things like tilapia on, on the basis that sort of it's a it's a lower margin crop. Uh, however, sort of the irony is, is that some of those crops where they do suffer from all flavor compounds that that 
do you know um, have impact on the quality of of the crop that they produce would serve to benefit quite significantly from a technology like ours. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Not always necessarily the capital budget to look at new technology like like analog technology, but um, certainly the value and, and benefits are there to be had. And then certainly offshore, which is a sort of a big market segment for us, is um, it could be everything from uh, LG prevention, um, supplement aeration for net pens. Um, you know, right now we focus on salmon, um, but uh, certainly uh, that could entail everything from just an emergency aeration, consistent supplemental aeration to increase um, oxygen levels through certain depressed times of year when oxygen is, is not that great. Um, certainly in Canada right now, looking at um, semi-enclosed systems, which obviously is, is very topical right now, is just from the environmental um, risk perspective and, and trying to make sure, you know, escape, fish don't escape and, and sort of how can you do it more uh, safely. Um, and certainly, I think well, obviously one of the drivers for the semi-enclosed system is also sea lice prevention. Um, but, you know, it's sort of, it's a give and take because once you introduce those tarps and, and if it goes down, you know, 15 meters, you're compromising the the flow of water through that system. And consequently, now you become more of like a, almost like a RAS facility where now, you know, it is heavily reliant on mixing and and um, oxygenation or supplemental oxygenation to support the biomass that's in there. Um, and then also one of, one of the, the sort of more new novel um, applications that that I, I actually love because it's it it's really so easy to implement and yet um, surprisingly it's not as, as as widely adopted in the industry is just you're sort of under this governance of of environmental stewardship and and remediating this the seabed below below these uh, licensees um, and I think we've demonstrated now on numerous occasions that it's actually relatively easy and cost effective to to provide remediation to to seabed and and um, make sure that that environment is is well maintained um, and you're not leaving sort of a negative footprint from these operations which i i just for me i i'm i'm in the school of thought like the aquaculture is a necessity the, the requirement for um more environmentally friendly um, protein production and and um, being able to but but being able to do that efficiently not only with the source of oxygen but also sort of an environmental way um, and and having these sort of tools at your disposable to to you know do say do things proactively um, that that obviously has a great benefit to to the long term sort of sustainability of the industry as a whole. Yeah, that's what we're all about is responsible, sustainable, produce seafood. Um, so if a farmer wanted to implement this technology into their system, what mm. steps, sure. what steps would they need to take to, to do that? Um, for us, it's, it's, it's really simple. I mean, it's, it's, it, the, the equipment is akin to installing a pump. Um, we just do some very, <clears throat> very simple sizing metrics. We look at like, you know, it could be what the oxygen shortfall is. It could be um, a simple calculation, what the biomass is and the amount of oxygen that we required. We have different size systems. Um, and we just do a, a, a very 
simple estimation of, of what we think is necessary. And then in, in some cases, we're, you know, we've had situations where the customer has a cone on site. They really have pumps there. Uh, we just use the pumps from the cone, divert the flow from, from going to the cone and divert it through our system and then put that back into, it could be going into a, a central header line or it could be going directly back into um, a hatchery tank. Uh, it, it just varies depending on the configuration. Um, if it's a saltwater operation and it's net generation, um, yeah, I mean, it, we have either package solutions or sort of indivi individual ones, depending on how they want to go. But again, just conceptually think about, okay, like I'm going to bring water from a particular lo target location, I mean, from a location and bring it into our, our system, our technology, our nanobubble generators converting that that uh, bulk gas, which could be coming from a, a, an oxygen concentrator or a liquid oxygen, converting that and then discharging that back into um, your desired location, which could be, as I said, it could be everything from the seabed all the way to the net pen, or if it's in a hatchery, it could be you know, anywhere within the hatchery uh, process. Cool. Pretty simple. So you mentioned before that even though it seems so efficient and generally cost-effective, it hasn't really caught on in the mainstream yet, at least not here in the U.S. and in the Western half of the world. So why do you think that is? Why hasn't it fully caught on yet here? Yeah, it's <clears throat> so I think it is catching on um, to, to, to give you a thing. We've, we've literally only just started focusing on aquaculture in the last year and specifically in North America, Canada in the mm. last six months, six or seven months. Um, and I think it, it sort of, I think it speaks to what of my, like my earlier comment is just, you know, people in the industry itself, they want, they want to understand like the, the collective knowledge of, of what this is, how to use it, how to optimize it within our process and what are the implications of adopting it. So I think that's one thing that we, we recognize and, and sort of try and prioritize within Molier is, is sort of becoming those domain experts. Um, is, we're not just an equipment supplier, but we really have to fundamentally understand, you know, first and foremost, aeration fundamentals, and then the role of auction, these various different processes. And then most importantly, how we integrate these into a net pen or a hatchery and, and bringing that knowledge is, is critical to, helping people understand how to adopt it. Um, so it is, it's definitely in its early stages. Um, I think some of the, the sort of our predecessors or other parts, I think have, have perhaps had challenges pulling all those pieces together to provide a comprehensive solution to the market. Because um, I, I definitely think that, you know, us just, whether, whether you're a foreign company trying to sell to a, a Canadian operation or a Chilean operation, um, unless you can provide a, a, a turnkey solution for them, I think it's it's very difficult to to get them over the hump. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are some potential challenges or disadvantages to this? Is there anything that farmers who or you know any anyone who's using this technology should kind of look out for or be wary of because you know, there's, I don't want, uh, like you said, we don't, we don't want to tout that this is a, a miracle cure for anything oxygen. Yeah, what, what are some of the challenges that, that, uh, 
people may face using this technology? Um, I think the most common question we get is like associated with gas bubble disease. I think people hear nanobubble and they think they get nervous associated about that, yeah. with micro bubbles and then generally using sort of not a pure form of oxygen and consequently like the, this concern over gas bubble disease or, or gill health. Um, typically that's, that's, I think our most common, commonly encountered question or concern as it relates to our technology. And to date we've, we've, we've observed no contraindications, no implications to fish health. Obviously on the contrary, we're looking at a, at a, a healthier, um, less stressed fish as a result. Um, but I think sort of addressing these sort of erroneous concerns at the forefront is, is probably um, the biggest obstacle is, is, again, it's hard for people to conceptualize. We use the term bubble, but it's it's at such a minuscule scale um, that really it, it's more like a colloidal particle than it is a bubble. Um, and the risks associated with gas bubble disease are, are just not there. Um, that's, that's certainly a, a risk. Um, and then sort of coming back to, I think with, and I, I don't think this is unique to nanobubbles. I just think in general, anybody that's adopting new technology, coming back to my point, like even with our technology, even with a cone or anything, you can do things wrong. Um, whether it be a pack column, you could oversaturate the water. You could be, you know, not balancing your hydraulics correctly and, and, and certainly that can have implications and, and we're not immune to that. Um, you've got to know how to apply it. You've got to know within what are the optim, optimal ranges of, of operation. And, and I think that's part of that whole education that I feel like is a, a integral step in, in educating people, adopting this, how to use it and where to implement, implement it. Great. Well, we're getting a little short on time. So I want to kind of talk about what's going on. What what plans are for the future with Moliere and and you know what uh, what we what we can look forward to uh, seeing from from you all in the next coming years? But Justin and Maddie, did you have anything else that you wanted to to talk about before we did that? No, I think just to piggyback off that question, Sean really is yeah. What does the future hold? How has the technology advanced over the last twenty years, and where do you see it? In the next 20 years, and I mean, I know we talked about how it's currently being integrated, but yeah, how is Moliere looking in the future the to you? Yeah, what's on the horizon? <laughs> I could tell you Mars. Um, <clears throat> we're doing some work with, with NASA looking at microgra- microgravity cultivation, um, which by just coincidence, you know, having having something that's submerged in water and some of the impacts of hypoxia because of the lack of oxygen um, is directly relevant to what we do because we can saturate that water and, and mitigate that uh, um, hypoxic conditions. Um, so it's, it's an interesting catchphrase, but, but yeah, I mean, we, we're really keeping um, a, a very open mind to, to the trajectory of where we want to be. I think, I, I think, the education that we've had to date is sort of allowing us to really provide, I would say, um, a collective knowledge of implementation that goes beyond just providing a piece of equipment. I think it it lends itself more to a solution and, and process enhancement. So we would look to hopefully be able to really dial in a RAS facility, for example, where 
you know, within within the next year or two, we can we can provide the right oversight to understand like, okay, well, applying the, the, the technology here is where we best mitigate H2S formation or or off flavor compounds. And and hopefully with all of those optimizations, um, you know, we can provide a much more comprehensive offering to the market. And it's the same thing, you know, with sea lice treatment being so topical for for um, offshore salmon farming. And um, how do we address that? I mean, it's a it's a huge from an environmental standpoint, the use of, of chemicals and pesticides or or hydrolysis or whatever, like how could we do that more sustainably um, and more efficiently? And whether that means using a semi-enclosed system um, and, and how do we optimize that process? I, th- I think if I'm looking forward, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, within the next few years, um, we're providing that solution to the industry um, as a soup to nuts, you know, from environmental monitoring and how to um, automate the integration of all, all the equipment to, you know, mitigate things like algae or at least provide some sort of um, immediate response to a threat like that, um, whether it be oxygenation or preventative treatment. And then looking at how, you know, we tie the role of oxygen to when the fish are sort of actively feeding and, and sort of really optimizing those relationships um, between it. I, I think that's hopefully where I, I think we are in a, a couple of years. Yeah, the industry is definitely no, there's no shortage of innovation. From the short time that I've been in this aquaculture space, I have seen tremendous improvements in technology. Uh, the, the industry is demanding it. People are constantly looking for ways to be more sustainable, to look for better production production rates and this this really fits in perfectly so i think your vision and where you want to be i i I really see that that truly happening for you and this technology fitting in very nicely within the aquaculture space right well the other thing about that justin is that this industry is very receptive of new technologies which is not the case in a lot of industries especially industries that that provide food um but Aquaculture specifically um, is very, very receptive to new technologies and innovative technologies. So yeah, I'm excited to see. I, I'm sure we'll see a an increase in in demand and and usage of this technology, and then that will probably lead to further innovation within the field. So I, I'm really excited to kind of see what's what's on the horizon for the future as well. Um, but I, I don't want to keep you for too long, and I don't want this episode to go too long either. So uh, Warren. Is there anything else that you want to get out there before we wrap things up? No, just uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, it's, it's an exciting journey for us, and we're like thrilled to be part of it. As I said, I, I think aquaculture is, is such an important industry as a whole to provide sustainable protein um, for the you know the global demand, and and you know the opportunity to enhance it, right, to make it more sustainable is just checks all of our boxes. Obviously, commercially, you know, we we, we have sort of financial incentives to, to be part of it and to, to get our equipment out there. But, but the fact that we can have a more meaningful impact um, and to, to affect the industry in a way that, that I think has long-term benefits is, is probably the most exciting part for us. Well said. Definitely. Warren, if any of our listeners are, are – 
or interested in this technology, what, what is the best way for them to reach out to you? And, and again, any contact information that you're willing to share with us, we can put in our show notes, but, but what is really the best way that someone should, could reach out to you or the company? Uh, through the website, for sure. There's, there's, um, a form submitter submittal that, that you can go through that, that will then get diverted to, um, the various appropriate people, depending on the region or, mm-hmm. or wherever it is. Um, but, but yeah, that for sure is a, a very simple, easy way to, to get in touch with us. Perfect. Great. And we'll put that website right on the, sh- in the show notes. Awesome. Well, I'm going to wrap it up here. Warren, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We haven't done a seafood innovations episode in a really long time. So I'm really glad that we can start, you know, getting back, talking, getting a little nerdy and talking about some, some science, um, <laughs> more cause we haven't, we haven't been in there as much again. Uh, it's Warren Russell the co-founder and chief commercial officer for Moliere. Thank you, Warren. We'll stay in touch. We'll, you know, we're excited to see what uh, what's coming. Great. So thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thanks, guys. All right. Perfect. Thank you so thanks, much Warren. for your time, Warren. Great to meet you. Just for now. Folks, that was our conversation with Warren Russell, the co-founder and chief commercial officer of Moliere, talking about nanobubbles. As always, hope you learned something. Hope you enjoyed it. I know I learned a lot. My head's spinning a little bit. Me too. That was really interesting. (laughs) It's something that I truly had never even heard of. It's super cool. And that's why I love doing these seafood innovations episodes, because I always come out of them like, oh my God, that is so cool. Yeah. I, I hope that some of our listeners here are thinking about this technology and seeing if there's a way that they can implement it into their systems because I think, I really do think that there's a lot of benefits to this and I think it's going to be making some big differences in the quality of the seafood that's farmed in, in the future. So, pretty cool. It's going to be making bubbles in the pretty industry. Pretty cool. Sure. Yeah, Ooh, making, making good bubbles. One. <laughs> kinda. Not not really, but kinda. I'm glad he kind of clarified what what they actually are even though they're called nanobubbles. Yes. I asked yeah. Maddie if if I could pop a nano bubble bubble with a nano pin before we started, and she said, yeah. "Don't ask that." Yeah. I'm glad we didn't didn't uh, pull that out. But all right, anyway, thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you get all the new episodes downloaded directly to your device as soon as they come out. Uh, you can reach out to us via email, podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. Fill out our contact form on the education page located on aquaculturealliance.org website. Or follow us on social at AquademiaPod. And make sure that you've rated and reviewed us on whichever platform you listen to us on. And don't forget to check out the show notes because there's a lot of great information down there. Yeah, Maddie writes the show notes, so you know they're good. Yeah, shout out to me for writing all the show notes. They're chock, they're chock full of, of good uh, resources down there, so make sure you don't <laughs> pass that up. All right, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.